appreciate again for you guys allowing me to be here this morning. And so last week we covered, um, I gave you some homework actually to pray for someone that you can invest your life or that you can put before your own interests. And so I hope you guys prayed for the four of those people or I hope that you guys initiated that. If you hadn't already been, you might have, you already might have been. But this is the second part of a heart to make disciples. A heart to make disciples. And so I want to give you guys a chilling fact. <clears throat> and I really believe it's a fact and I will explain it after I tell you. But the church in America is on a decline. Now, don't get too alarmed because the church was built to win, right? And so I want to give you a little bit of my own experience why I feel that is in 2006, I accepted Jesus into my life when I was 27 years old. Um, Some of you guys have accepted Jesus in your life when you were six, seven, eight, nine, I don't know, but I was 27. And so I accepted Jesus in my life. I got baptized and I was on fire for the Lord anything that had to be done around church I'll do it I'll do it I just wanted to be involved started tithing and started helping and giving of myself but a few years go down the road and I'm yearning for something and I I remember this prayer the prayer that I made it was about 2012 or 2013. But I prayed. I said, God, I need someone. I need a man to come alongside of me and help me grow. I was at a plateau, it felt like. And so all the learning that I was doing at this time was watching other men of the church. I had to initiate it. I had to watch other men in the church. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good men that I was able to watch and use as an example. And there is. There's a lot of good men and women in this church that we can just watch and look as an example. D.L. Moody had said this. Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. That's scary on three parts, and I'll tell you what, why. One, first, only one out of 99 or one out of 100 reading the Bible. Two, why are the other 99 not reading? And three, if I'm the one or you're the one reading the Bible, it's scary that 99 people are watching you to learn how to be a Christian. Because that's pressure. So where do we fit into in that? Where are we at? And so we are left as believers... To learn the Christian walk to alone. I've heard it many times. I've heard pastors preach or I've seen that, that, a new, that a new believer comes up. He says that he's accepted Jesus. He gets baptized and we leave him. That's it. We say, go ahead. Go on. We've done our work. And they're left to, we're, we're left to grow on our own, it seems. And we have programs, we have Sunday schools, we have programs, but it's not about that. It's about a relational environment. And so in 2013, um, our pastor at the time was on a sabbatical and a pulpit pat, a guy came in to preach and I've seen him preach before and he preached two, he like preached two or three times and on the third time he came up to me and he said, Cipriano, how would you like to start meeting together? 
He said, do, he said, do not answer now. Pray about it. So he went up and gave his sermon. And after his sermon, I went up to him. And he can tell you this. I had tears in my eyes. And I said, I've been praying for someone to come alongside of me. And so this is where I feel that that church on the, inc- on the decline. This was 2013. It's 2018. Not one other man, and I've been around church for years, has came up and said, hey, would you like to meet together? And this meeting together is so that we can learn from each other. It's not just let's have coffee because I'm going through something kind of meeting. It's because I want to invest my time into you kind of meeting. Only one man in 13 years has done that into my life. And so I'm just using myself as an example. But you could ask yourself that question. How many men or women have, came, have invested their time into your life? Or how many of you invested your time into others? I want to give, uh, like, I want to give you an illustration. There were four guys that were given a week Four weeks to live. And they were asked, what are you going to do with the time that you have? And the first guy said, I am going to go all over my town. And I'm going to tell my friends and family about Jesus with those four weeks. And I'm going to do it now. The second guy said, I'm going to go. I'm going to travel the United States. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. And I'm going to go tell everybody that I can about Jesus. The third guy, he said, you know what? I'm going to Africa. I already have my plane tickets. I'm leaving today. I'm going to Africa, and I'm going to tell everybody that I can about Jesus. And the fourth guy said, I'm going to move in with my mom-in-law, mother-in-law, because those four weeks are going to seem like eternity. And it's funny because it is funny, but some people count the days, and the others make the days count. We have been blessed with a certain amount of days. God already knows the days that he has blessed you with. Are we making those days count? Or are we counting the days for our own interests? So where is your heart? I want to ask you two questions and then I'll get to the scripture. I promise I'm going to read some scripture here. This this is just the introduction. I'm going to ask you two questions, and they are rhetorical questions, but they're still questions. You don't have to answer. If Christianity was a team sport, and the church was Christ's team, what would winning be? If Christianity was a team sport, if this congregation was a team, which you should be, working together, what would winning be? There's some great answers that you could probably come up with. Some would be uh, great worship will make a, a, great, a great winning team. Some will say growing in attendance. Oh yeah, growing in attendance will make a great team. Maybe by caring for others would make a great church. That would be a winning team. Great preaching, which I'm sure you're having that here from Seth. But great preaching, that would make a great church. Great music. Or maybe if we meet the needs of hurting people. If we do these things. If we do all these things. This will make a great church. A winning church. Those are some good answers. But I don't think that is the answer. Biblical answer. The Bible gives us a clear answer. And if you turn to Matthew 28. 
Last week I told you that my, my favorite scripture was in Philippians. Well, this is my favorite scripture too. <clears throat> I can't decide. They're just all favorite. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 makes, makes the church's mission clear. Can I, we pray first? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Father, for this, uh, for this scripture. I pray that we're able to um, study it well, to look into it, and, Father, to act on it, just as you have commanded. Father, I pray that the words are yours and not mine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read, starting in 16. Now the, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. And, and we've heard this. We've read this. And we've been told to go out and make disciples. And the church is called to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. I really believe that. And it's just not to tell somebody about our Savior. That's part of our work. We are already called to minister to people. By doing so, we're supposed to tell them about Jesus. But making disciples and telling someone about Jesus are totally two different things. And I'm going to tell you another fact that I believe is true. But your pastor cannot disciple everyone in this congregation. Jesus had 12 that followed him and three that he stuck even closer. So don't think that your pastor, don't put that much, much weight on your pastor's shoulders. Because he can't. Your pastor is to encourage you, to exhort you, to... to uh, 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 um, to equip you, to challenge you, to teach you. It's hard to invest in time into a lot of people's lives. Every, um, every, Christian is, every Christian is commanded to participate in the mission to make disciples. But first we must understand what a disciple is. A disciple, uh, um, the term, term disciple is like an apprentice. So, in other words, say, say, say that you have a woodworker and somebody's learning from him. So, Jesus could have been a disciple of his stepdad, John, right? Because he learned him how to be a carpenter. He was an apprentice. So, maybe you have a trade that you know. May, may, just maybe you're, I don't know, gas, electric, a construction, and you're learning that trade. An architect. There's somebody that you're learning from. And so you're a follower of them. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And I like, and like, I like that word where he says where Jesus directed them. When did Jesus do this? Well, if, if you look up, Jesus used an angel. If you look up to 28, and you'll see 
where the disciples ran to the tomb to look and see, or Mary and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb um, to find Jesus. And behold, an angel was sitting on a rock, right? White sash. And they said, he, he had told them, he said, is it, G, G, is, it, G, is it Jesus that you seek? And they told him, go ahead and look inside the tomb. And then it goes right here in verse 7. It says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So I like this in verse 16 where the disciples listened to what the messenger said. He said, go to Galilee. You will meet him there. And guess what? They went to Galilee. Do we listen to that every time when Jesus asks us to do something? Do we do it? And then a couple verse, verses down, he says, go and make disciples. So, 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 so do we listen? What if they didn't listen and they didn't go to Galilee? They wouldn't have got this message. And then verse, verse, verse 17, excuse me. I, I can't speak sometimes, stutter sometimes, but forgive me. 17, verse 17. And when Jesus saw him, or when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love that. They go to Galilee and they see Jesus there and they worship him. But then it breaks my heart when some doubted. Still, some are doubting. Let's not be the doubters. Let's not doubt what Jesus has commanded us to do. Let's not doubt whenever our pastor equips us. Let's, let's not be doubters. Let's worship him. And I try to think, I try to put myself in that, that time when they see Jesus and they just say, that is Jesus, and they worship him. But then there could be some more that worship him, him but they're just playing the part because they were doubters. Let, let's not play the part, but in our mind, doubt. So that's something great that we can pray for, that we will not be doubters. He has given us a command. How do we obey Jesus' command? First, we need to understand Jesus' work here on earth. And I really think that I needed to explain this because whenever I first read this, it really got me, wait a second. So John 17. This too is one of my favorite. <laughs> but John 17, 4 through 9, or let's, let's just go 1 through 9 probably, but... Let me give you a little bit of the background. Um, we know that Jesus came to die for our sins, right? We know that. But what, but what if that's not the only thing that he came for? So Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. They had the Last Supper, washing the disciples' feet, and he starts talking to them. And still, they do not understand, and they say they don't understand, and he tells them that they don't understand. But then he says in verse 25 of 16, he starts telling them, I've been speaking you to you in figurative of speech. 
But here real soon, I'm going to speak to you and you're going to understand me, he says. And then he tells them, I am going to the Father. And then the next verse is the disciples say, we understand what you're saying. Wow, we finally understand what you're saying. And so in verse 17, Jesus lifts up his eyes to God. He says this in verse 1. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He's saying here, in his prayers to God, Jesus is saying, I completed your work. I completed the work of making disciples. I still haven't went to the cross, which there on the cross, he bows his head and he says, it is finished. Here he said, I completed this task. In other words, he's saying, the, the, the men that you have sent me are ready to go make disciples themselves now because I've discipled them. And then if you go to Matthew 28... He says, now go there, go for and make disciples. The only thing that the disciples were lacking right now was the Holy Spirit, which he promised them in, in like John, 4, in John 14 and John 15. He said he was going to send them a helper. That's what they needed. That's what we have. We have the Holy Spirit with us to help us make disciples. So this message that I'm giving you this morning, don't think that you're going at it alone. You have each other and you have the Holy Spirit to equip you to make disciples. Today, we as followers, we need this. This is what we need to make disciples. We need to create an intentional relational environment. I would like you to write that down. Create an intentional, relational environment. That's what Jesus made. His intent was to call those disciples, follow me. My intent, his intent was for him to, to live with them, to teach them. And then to release them into ministry themselves. And in Matthew 28, he releases them. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Whenever someone has authority of all of heaven and all of earth, um, he's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the boss. He writes our paycheck. 
And he tells the disciples all authority. Not some. He said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then 19 he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Before you get uh, worried when it says nations, don't think you have to go to China, to Africa. Some of you might, if God's calling you, but this Greek word is ethilios. It's the same word we get ethnicity from. Jesus is saying, go to different ethnic groups. Don't just go to the Jews, he's saying. We have all that in our backyard. But I want to encourage you, if you feel like you're called to do missions, he is, he has all authority. And he won't disappoint. That's where you, you know, if you are called to do that, um, I think that's awesome. Are we investing time into others' lives? And if not, how should we begin the process? So the intent is to invest our lives into others just, just as Jesus invested his life in those disciples. How are we going to, how, how would the disciples teach other people the same way Jesus taught them? So they would invest their lives into them. So that's the question. Are we investing our time into others' lives? Just like the guy that invested his life into me. I'll, I'll tell you his name. His name's Joel Horn. I don't know. Maybe you guys know. I think you do. But he's invested his time into me. And today we still meet. Every week we meet. And the intent was the same intent here. Was so that you could start making disciples with others. If we meet and that doesn't happen, we're just gaining information. Which we do all the time. But the intent is the same as what Jesus did. Was to equip and to allow them to go. Verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, so Jesus is telling the disciples, you need to teach them what, I have, what, what you observed me doing. Follow the example in Jesus and invest your time into others. And I want to explain you the little process. And so how can we do that? How can we invest our time into others? By being intentional, I mean... Go up to somebody, pray about it, because God has somebody for your life. God already has the person that you should be witnessing to. It's just how Jesus went up to the, the, the like fishermen and said, hey, follow me. So pray who that person is in your life. And when you feel God telling you who that is, I want you to go up to him and ask them if you can start meeting with them. If you can go have coffee. And take one of those important hours out of your 24-hour or how about your week, that one little hour. Take time out of your day to meet with them and to learn who they are, to learn where they are spiritually. 
and to meet them on their level and then meet again and then say hey let's go through a let's go through a particular book of the bible together you and read you like read a chapter and i'll like read the same chapter and the next week we meet how about we go over what we just talked about and you're sharpening each other but the intent is once we stop meeting in a year or maybe we can always meet but the intent is that that person does the same to someone else and then that person does the same to someone else see it took jesus three years to disciple those those people could he have done it quicker sure but could they gain that knowledge quicker no you know that that like one that like one that one phrase inner moron i was talking about that kind of gets in our way so it takes time for us to learn something And so that's just a quick, uh, a brief example of how we can start that process. By investing our time into someone, and it doesn't have to be one hour. I kind of feel, I feel I don't do enough sometimes when I, I think about meeting with someone for an hour and I think of all the other hours of the day that I just put in my own self. I feel like I can give God more than just that. But that's my own thing that I'm dealing with. So your work is done when the person you are discipling can in turn make disciples. So in other words, we're making disciple makers, right? That can start here. That can start here. You can do that together. No one has to be... be, um, you don't have to wait for someone that has all this experience. You know that helper that we talked about? That Holy Spirit? He's doing the work for us. Can God just make disciples on His own? Sure He could have. He can. He's God. But this is, a, this is amazing. He chose us to take part. Isn't that amazing? He allowed us to take part in the kingdom work. He didn't have to. He could have, he could have just taken care of it. But he's allowed us to be part of it. All believers are to be messengers who bring the message to others. And to continue discipling those who believe. So again, don't, don't get it where we are to bring the message of Jesus to other people, to people that may not be believers. We are to do that. We're to bring the message. But we're also to equip each other on this side. So as you're going, as you're going and telling people about Jesus, as you're going, you make disciples. It's two parts. It's not one or the other. So out there you can give them, you can tell the message to Jesus. In here you can disciple. Again, I think I said this last week. The church was designed 
the church was not designed to be a group of spectators. It was designed to be, be a trained army. The army of God. And Christianity is a team sport. And we need to make disciples together. We need to work together. I want to encourage you to work together as a church. And younger men, don't wait on the older men. And older men, don't wait on the younger men. Don't think because you're a little younger that you cannot be used by God. And older men, don't think that you're too old because your time's run. You know, how can I say that? I'm trying to be sensitive. Forgive me. No, okay, yeah, yes, yes, it does make sense. Don't think that you're too old that you don't, you can't, that God can't use you anymore. God can use you still. I'm going to get some backlash from that, I know. Sorry. If it takes any, you know, if it makes a difference, I call my dad. I call my dad the like, old man all the time, so. We're, we're all family, right? <laughs> On this team, everybody plays. Everyone plays. Everyone. Get in the game. We're all on the field. But we have to know the play that we're playing, right? And the play is Matthew 28. If you're on the football field and the quarterback gives you a play and you're over here and you're running a different play and you're blind, you know, like you're over here, the main goal is not going to happen because we got other people doing a different play. Our play is right here and it's clear, Matthew 28. Our quarterback is... Man upstairs. Don't feel that you need a seminary degree to lead or disciple others. Don't think that. God can use us all. Do you guys, some, some of you know my story, and I, uh, my ment, mentor told me. He said, you don't have to use that anymore. You don't have to tell them where, where like you were because God's changed you. But I still think it's relevant. Be, be, like before I gave myself to Christ, I was a drug dealer in Clovis. And a drug user. But God has done some amazing things in my life. And just because that was my past, that same Mission that God's commanded, He's commanded me to do the same, to make disciples, to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Don't let your past define who you are through Jesus. Last week I told you guys a little bit about the book of Rev the book of the book of Revelations. Where the first, vi the first vision that Paul, that John got was of, of Jesus. And I told you about the lampstands, or I might not have. I might have just explained the vision that John was given. But part of it is that there was seven lampstands and seven stars in his right hand. And seven lampstands, which were the seven churches. And the stars were the leaders of the church. And he told John to give them, write this down. And the first letter was to the church of Ephesus. And he starts 
telling them, he says, You're, you guys are doing well. Your patience is well. And I will encourage you to read it. Chapter 2. One, chapter 1 and 2, and it's very short. And he says, your patience is well, but there's some things that you're, you are not doing right. And he's talking to the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, the pastor at the time was Timothy. And one of the elders there had been John. All right. And he said, but there's some things that you're not doing well. And he's saying, you need to repent of this or I'm going to remove your lampstand. I wasn't going to tell you guys this morning, but something told me to tell you this story or this vision. Something that really caught me on this was that Jesus acknowledged all seven churches. And Jesus is walking around amongst the churches. Right? He knows what's going on or else he wouldn't have knew what to write here. Jesus knows what is going on. And he said, there's things that need to be changed and you need to repent or else I'm going to remove your lampstand. And so my point of this is that there can be churches... Today, the church in America is on a decline, right? Churches today that there are people in the church, but they could be dead. There's no spiritual growth within the church. Today, the church of Ephesus, if you do historical, if you look it up historically, there's no roots of that church it has been gone. Because in that vision, he goes and says, I will remove your lampstand and you'll be no more. So evidently, they didn't go by what Jesus was asking them to do. And I'm not saying that to scare or anything like that. It's just what the word says. We are commanded to do something. And... and in my encouragement, and, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that this command of go and make disciples, invest our time into others, to, have, to put others' interests before yourself like we learned last week, I think it's important that we invest our time, our efforts into other people and help them grow. Don't just come into these walls and get knowledge. Don't be like the Dead Sea. That just has an inlet but no outlet. As you are going, making disciples, do you know how? Have you been taught? And I think it's up to the church. I think it's up. I think this message is is clear. And so my encouragement is is for you to do that. Remember what Jesus said, and I will end with this. Remember what Jesus said when the fishermen were fishing over there. And I try, like again, I try to put myself there at the time. I think it just makes it more real. So I imagine some fishers fishing right there on the dock, cleaning their nets. And he says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That right there explains exactly Jesus' intent. Follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Not follow me, I just want to give you knowledge. 
Follow me. I want you. I want to equip you so that you can disciple people. I want to equip you so you can take this message. I want to equip you so I can make you fishers of men. Not fishers of whatever else. But fishers of men. And so maybe some of you today, might, maybe this is the first time you might have heard about Jesus. Or maybe today's the first time that Jesus is pulling on your heart to do something. Or maybe you've never accepted Jesus in your life. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. There's leaders in this church that you can talk to. The pastor you can talk to about that decision, if that's a decision in your life. But also, maybe you've been going to church for many years and you can ask yourself... How many people have I invested into and really invested my life into? I will let you keep that number to yourself, however many there are. But remember, there's only been one man that has invested their life into me in the last 13 years. There's been good men in the church that I've been able to follow and watch. But I don't want to just be one of the 99 watching other Christians. And grow like that. I want to be intentional in someone's life. And I want to come alongside of them. And I want to help, grow, help them grow. It takes work. We have to count the cost. Jesus was very plain about explaining what the cost was to follow him. And so I want to be very clear that it does count. It does cost. It costs our time. And sometimes we hold that more precious than anything else. But are you counting the days or are you making the days count? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Father, for this message. And I pray, Father, I pray that it was clear. I pray that the church at Waypoint, the congregation at Waypoint, could be unified under the leadership of, of Seth. Father, and I pray that this command of go and make disciples, invest our time into to people, Father, one person at a time. I pray that it is concrete within their heart and within their soul. Father, I pray that we can go out and we can, we can let go of the time that we value, Father, the time that you have blessed us with. But you have each one of our number, Father God. You know that you know the hairs on our head and the time that we have. And I pray that we make special use of that time. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word and to read my favorite scripture. Father, I just thank you and I pray for this church. I pray for the blessing. I pray. That they grow, Father. And I, I don't mean, mean in numbers right now, Father. I mean spiritually. I mean that their spiritual growth is just strong, Father. Like that that you have intended to be. And that they can, they can um, impact the community. The, the, the county of Cur the They can impact Curry County. The community of Clovis, Father. Father, and I just pray this in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen.